glass thing with a glass uh, uh, round sphere at the end of it, and if you scraped your arm, your mother got the methylate, and you'd go, no, no, don't, don't, and she'd put it on, and it would burn to the bone, and then it would be fluorescent red for about three months. <laughs> and that was first aid. Also, back in the day when you were sick, no matter what it was, you went to your doctor and they gave you a shot of penicillin. Always got a shot of penicillin. So, I mean, first aid is first, the first thing you do to aid someone. And spiritually, we've got wounded believers, wounded people. And we're going to go into the definition of a backslider over the next couple of weeks, uh, but not tonight. But first, we've got a lot of Christians, a lot of people that know the Lord, that are wounded, that have slipped away, and they need first aid. They need a first responder. They need someone to go back to them, and we need to consider the, our position for that. The worst thing we can do for the backslider is to not address their condition. We're kind of wimps. We won't confront, we won't talk, and we can do it in love. You don't have to be mean about it, but we really need to help someone. I mean, if you saw someone walking around with their arm twisted the wrong way, wouldn't you ask, do you need some help? Someone limping, someone bleeding, it's the first thing you do. Do you need help? And we need to do that. Let me read to you the introduction. The father compassionately calls the backslider back to himself, calling backsliding a wound and a sickness that he promises to freely heal. For too long the church has ignored and shunned backsliders, and it is time to go after them and bring them home. We must make a concerted effort to reach out to the wounded and the rebellious as a first aid to their recovery. We can all name one or two backslidden Christians that, they, that we know. Our churches would be filled if we would call the wandering sheep back to the fold and the prodigals back home. Hosea 14.4 says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from them. When God says he'll love them freely, it means there's nothing that they have to do to earn his love back. And that's the problem with many backsliders. They feel that they can't come back, or they're too ashamed, or God wouldn't receive them back. I mean, what condition were you in when you got saved? right? So we need to encourage them. Most of the time, their problem coming back isn't God's attitude, but the church's attitude. With greetings like, well, praise God, look who showed up in the church today. Great. You know? So we've got to be careful. Second Thessalonians, yet do not regard him as an enemy but warn him as a brother. Do you see the difference there? Don't regard as an enemy. We love to demonize brothers and sisters that we don't see eye to eye with or that, we, that they may be in sin or may be fallen. We need to rescue the perishing. We need to run to them, not shun them. We need to regard them as a wounded brother or sister. So let's consider those things. Now, Let's go to lesson one for tonight. This is what we're going to cover. I left room for you for notes. I'm asking you to bring this back each week for the next three or four weeks. Hold on to it and then bring it back. Can you do that? All right. 
So we need to prepare as workers. How many of you know, I, I was in the hospital this morning visiting someone who was having surgery, and I would imagine that everybody there, from the nurses to the doctors, had some level of preparation for what they were about to do that day, right? Wouldn't you hope that when the surgeon came in, the anesthesiologist came in and he said, geez, you know, I just don't know what to do. Let me get a book, you know? He said, I got my phone with me in case I have to YouTube uh, some of these things. I'm not sure exactly where the tubes go, right? No, we want those who are going to be first responders and those who are going to be the ambulance drivers and those who are going to care to be people who are prepared and ready to do that. So we as a church, God has been speaking to us for a couple years now about the prodigals and that would include backslidden people, that we need to be prepared to receive them and to call them back to the church. How many of you know that if God does anything to the world, he first starts it in the church? There's judgment starts in the church, and so outreach will start in the church, and we're going to get people saved, and we're going to get people not re-saved, but rededicated to God, and we're going to go out and find lost sheep as well. But it doesn't, doesn't do the kingdom well to bring in new sheep while half the sheep are wounded and broken. So let's do the work and let's prepare. We need to be prepared. So we're going to look tonight at the book of Jude. I'm just taking a few of the portions of scriptures, Jude 20 to 22. It's a very short book. You could read it tonight. And Jude would love to talk to the believers about their salvation, how great it is, he said, but, but, I'm, but I can't. He interrupted his letter right in the first line. Love to talk to you about this great salvation, but wait a minute, i got to warn you, there's trouble on the horizon. There's a lot of false teachers out there. There's a lot of deceivers. There's a lot of people doing a lot of uh, twisting and turning of Scripture. And so I need to warn you, brethren, that we need to care and watch out for each other because people are being led astray. False doctrine, sin, you name it. How many of you know it's really hard to be a believer in America today because prosperity and the public opinion poll are pretty hard to overcome? I say prosperity because when we're self-sufficient and we have all we need, we usually don't look up. We look in our pockets or our wallets, right? We don't depend on God, we depend on money. We depend on technology. We depend on everything else. That's a real problem. But the second thing is we've got so much information floating out here and we've got so much criticism against the church that, that we've got believers who don't know what to believe. And, and they don't know what to believe concerning Scripture. So that's what Jude's talking about. We need to get prepared as a people. That's what I'm going to do for us. We're going to be a first responder church. We're going to get out there and we're going to talk to people about their sin, about what's troubling them, what's, what they're having a problem with, and we're going to encourage them back to Jesus, amen? So we've got to get prepared and trained. So if you look at the text tonight, we're going to Jude, verse 20 and 21. And so Jude says this, but you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So there are three things that we need to do to be prepared. If we're going to minister to somebody else, we've got to be having a good footing and well prepared, right? 
And so Jude puts, three, it puts it in three things. If you'll read that little book of Jude, you'll see he speaks in triads over and over, in steps of three over and over. And so he says this, number one, beloved, build yourselves up. That word for build yourself up is the word edify, strengthen, encourage. How do you build yourself up? Huh? What's, what's a good way to build yourself up? The Word of God. Study the Word of God. I hope you're all in a reading program. I hope you're all studying the Word of God every day, that uh, you're looking at Scripture, uh, at least listening to it in the car on the way to work or to and from, at work or at home, you're hearing the Word of God. It's building you up. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? By the Word of God. You've got to hear the Word of God. All right, it's got to saturate it, it's, it's got to soak us in. Then you also need to study the Word of God. The Word of God says, present yourselves to the Lord. Workmen, not ashamed, rightly dividing that word. So we need to study, figure out what it means, why it means what it means. And again, I'll tell you, a great comprehensive program is to, to get into a program to read the Bible over in a year or a couple years so that you're going at a large overview of the entire Bible and then also you've got a book that you're just kind of getting into studying. I would encourage you, I, I encourage young pastors to become experts of books. So I'll tell them, you take the book of Romans and you read that 20 times. Read it 20 times in the next four months. And I want you then, don't study, just read it. And then get into a study on it. Then you begin to study. And then after you're done studying it, read it 20 more times. And what will happen is you become an expert. You, you get to know that word. And, and that will take you through half the year, right? So then go to, I don't know, Deuteronomy. Go to the Psalms. Do something else. If we would all do that, how many of you know a little line upon line, precept upon precept, it all adds up. And before you know it, you're getting good foundation and building yourself up in the Word. Now, another way to build yourself up is to worship. We must be a worshiping people. Worship opens our heart to God. Worship opens our thought to God. So I can go on and on and on. But uh, how do we edify ourselves? Uh, interaction with the Holy Spirit through worship, through speaking to Him, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, and through studying the Word of God. Secondly, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Now what do I mean by that? I'm going to use Paul's definition of praying in the Spirit according to 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says this in verse 15, Therefore I will pray with my mind and I will pray with the Spirit. So Paul gives us a distinction in two ways to pray. With my understanding, then he goes on and he says, I will sing with my understanding or my mind and I will sing in the Spirit. He differentiates between two ways to pray and two ways to sing. One is by my own unction and will and purpose of my mind, and the second is under the unction and influence of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we teach you as a people at a church like this, we believe that the Holy Spirit is available to pray for everybody in a prayer language. As you have the Holy Spirit within you, you can yield to that spirit in a prayer language, which we know as languages or tongues, and the Holy Spirit will pray through you. 
How many of you laugh here? Does anybody ever laugh? That back row laughs. Okay, so we have some people that laugh. When you laugh, how many of you think of the syllables? How many ha-has you're going to laugh, right? Ha-ha-ha-ha. Ha. You switch vowels. Ha-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> right? You don't think about it, do you? Where does laughter come from? How about when you're crying? Do you measure? Do you think? Do you reason how you're going to cry? No. Where does that come from? comes from your soul. It comes from a response and so forth. Tongues is the same thing, but it's not an automatic from your emotional being. It's from your spirit being. It's from the spirit that it comes forth. And it's not controlled by your mind. It's controlled by your yielding to God. And that builds you up. When you pray in the Holy Spirit, you are edifying yourself and who you are in Christ. Both of these things, edifying through the Word of God and praying in the Holy Spirit, give you your identity and that's the key christians need to understand their identity you with me the third thing he says this is stay in love with god stay in love with god stay in love with god how many remember the church at ephesus he says uh i have one thing against you you have lost your what first Love. What's a first love? Well, we could, there's a lot of different ways. You know, my first love, in a, in a ranking order, it would be the very best thing I love. In a romantic sense, it's like, oh, I remember my first love. I'll never forget her. <laughs> she was my first love. So it's what captivates you, it captures you. And so Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. You need to understand the love of God. You've got to stay in the love of God. And this is where you'll find grace. Right? But if you don't stay in the love of God, you'll move into legalism, you'll, lo- you'll move into religion. This is where a lot of people stray from the Lord. Because they're not staying in the love of God, they're trying to prove goodness to God, they're trying to earn something with God, or they're disappointed with God, so they wonder if God even loves them or God hears them. They're not staying in the love of God. Do you understand that? That's where most backslidden people are. Say that? Yeah, the cross is the demonstration, isn't it? Go ahead. Yeah, why the cross? Why is that the object of love? Because, yeah, because he said while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated, he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, he died on the cross. So the cross is the emblem of love. And so, brothers and sisters, to help you get restored back to Jesus so that you're not afraid of Him or you think God's angry at you, the cross levels all that. The cross beckons you back in love. Stays there. Yeah. Amen. Now, with these three things, now if we will be in those things, he he, he goes this and he says, and wait for the mercy of the Lord that leads to eternal life. Stay in the love of God and wait for the mercy of God. 
The mercy of God will direct our paths. The love of God, listen, consider this. If I'm built up in my faith and I am praying in the Holy Spirit, staying in the love of God, knowing and nurturing his love for me and my love for him, waiting upon his mercy to lead and guide me, I am ready to minister Jesus to somebody. Right? Because when you're that filled up, you have compassion. You see someone. You read their eyes. You, you, you see where, the way they're walking or how they're feeling. And so you're ready to minister. So if we're going to be first responders, if we're going to be a SWAT team, if we're going to be uh, paramedics, if, if we're going to run into the fire where people are wounded, if we're going to go rescue those who are backslidden, we have to do these three things to be prepared. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so we've got to be in shape to help others. And so let's get ourselves in shape. He goes on to say this then in verses 22 to 23. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Again, there's a triplet. Let's keep to the three. So the three things we need to do to stay fit so that we can rescue three types of people. Let's take a look at the first one. The person who doubts. Who here has never doubted the Scriptures? I've doubted. I wrestle with doubt. And so I've got to get an answer. I've got to study the Word. I'll never forget the time I had. Uh, this was many years ago. I was in my 20s. And uh, I, I remember when Jehovah Witnesses came to my door. And these particular Jehovah Witnesses were good. And I just loved Jesus. And, and so they were giving me points and, and tips and this and that. And I was going, to, yeah, but, but what about this? Oh, well, that's not right in the Greek. It says this and this and this and this. Oh, really? Uh, well, what about this? No, 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 it's not this, it's that. It's that, it's that. And I'm going like, ah. and they left. And I remember, man, I was like, I don't know. I, oh, what if they're right and I'm wrong? I've just been taught what I've been growing up with, but they got something else here. I don't know what to do. And I remember falling on my knees saying, Jesus, I just love you. I love you. I want to know well, who's right. So it drove me to a study of those verses. And then I said, wait, wait a minute. And I started studying and reading, and I did, you got my concordance out, and I studied this and that, and commentaries, and what do people, and what do the Jehovah Witnesses believe? What do we believe? And when I began to see their argument fall apart, and I began to see that they were wrong, and it was like, hey, wait a minute. And so I built myself up. So we all have doubts, and so what we have to do is help those with doubts. So there's a category of Christian believer that has doubts, all right? Now, what do you do with people who have doubts? You help them. And so that's one type of woundedness. How many of you know that if you have doubts whether God answers prayer, and then someone you love dies, how many Christians have been shipwrecked because someone they love died? Right? I got news for everybody. Everybody dies. Right? Everybody dies. And we don't know when someone's going to die. 
But again, you know, people say, oh, God heals everything and all the time. And so, how could my cousin die? And they get shipwrecked because of doubt. Now, is there anybody here that knows and have had a loved one? You've been through a very difficult time where someone died. You didn't lose your faith. You trusted God through it, in it, and beyond it. Well, then you are ready to go minister to that believer who's in doubt. And you could encourage them that even though they died, God is still on the throne, right? Our situations don't dictate or define God. And so we need to help those backsliders who have been wounded and who doubt, who have been coerced by another religion, who are challenged by our secular society. Now, how many of our kids are being just assaulted in school with evolution and speaking against Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and, and, and our morality as Christians, and just every day they're being attacked. And so kids typically, you know, 17, 18, 19, moving on into college, typically will doubt enough to wander away from the faith. Unless they have strong support systems. Here's a whole room full of them, right? I would encourage all of you to consider how many kids are right over here in this building and to not walk by them, but to begin to pray for them, to begin to consider that as they're getting ready to walk into college, they're getting ready to walk into a place of doubt. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Okay, so again, if you're going to help someone, you got to get your heart right. First thing Peter says is set Jesus as king in your heart. He's Lord of your heart. So if we're, before we can minister to somebody else, establish that you understand Jesus as your king, as Lord of your heart. Then, he says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. All right, so he says, if you establish Jesus as Lord of your heart, Lord of your life, and he's king of your heart, what's going to happen? People are going to ask you about the hope you have. Always be prepared to give a reason to answer, a defense. Now, the word in the Greek is apologetic, all right? And that's where we get the concept of apologetics, Christian apologetics, cause a defense for what we believe, a reasoned out defense of what we believe. Well, it's just faith. You just have to feel it and believe it and trust it. No, there's a reasoned faith here. There's a, it's reasonable to believe in a God, and if you believe in a God who is almighty, omniscient, all-powerful, it's reasonable to believe in miracles, it's reasonable to go further. And so we reason it out. God says, come, let us reason together. So you should be able to reason the hope that you have with others who ask, and you can defend your faith. Now, Defend your faith at all different levels. Some of you are going to be more scholarly. Some of you are going to have a testimony. And that's a strong defense of the faith. I can't remember all the scriptures, but I can tell you this. God visited me. God spoke to me. God did this. And that's a powerful defense for the hope that you have because people see there's a difference because Jesus is king of your heart, not you. 
And so you have a ready defense. And then he says, with all what? Gentleness and respect. Okay? So when we're approaching people who are in doubt, and I can tell you there are more Christians in doubt, and then there are more people who say they're atheists that are actually wounded Christians. But if with gentleness and if we would treat all people with respect, we don't need to shout back at each other. Now, there are different tactics that people use in arguments and so forth. Sometimes people use sarcasm. Uh, uh, you, can, you can creatively, with all respect, use sarcasm. Jesus did. He did it. The woman at the well. Go get your husband. And she said, oh, well... Um, I don't have a husband. He said, you, you got that right. You said that right. You've had five. And the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Right? So, I mean, you can use it. It, it doesn't mean that it, when we say gently with respect, it means usually to op- operate in the opposite spirit, but there are times when you can, you might have to press the same that they are. But the best is to minister in the opposite spirit. But be creative. Be skillful. But always with respect. I, I remember uh, uh, sharing with my friend, uh, this was back in uh, high, uh, college days, and uh, we went, got into a long discussion and I tried to use apologetics and a good defense of the gospel with him and it went on and on. And, and I, I walked away from that thinking, oh, I did such a lousy job. Said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I bungled that up royally because he wasn't convinced and we left kind of heated at each other mad at each other oh man i blew it again you know so then i got up the next morning and i got a call from him he said you know what what you talked to me about he said i couldn't sleep all night it was in my heart it was in my ear and i have to ask jesus back into my life look at you just give the information this is a living word it will move and work you know so you get some things wrong and you say it not the best but God, it's a, it's a two-edged sword. It's a spirit that's alive and it'll start moving because God wants them. It's not all on us, but be faithful. So again, on the second page of this notes, I'm asking you to write three people down. So number one, doubt. I want you, over the next three to four weeks, we're going to pray for these people. Do you know a believer that's in doubt? Write their name down. You don't have to do it now. You can wait till the Lord plants it in your heart. But this is a person we're going to pray for. Over the next couple weeks, do you know someone that's in doubt? And and, and so they're pulling away from God. They're pulling away from God because they're doubting whether there's a God or whatever realm of doubt, okay? All right, so that's the first one Jude says. So we need to be ready and prepared as workers and first aiders to aid these people who are in doubt with a reasoned defense, with gentleness and respect. Okay? Can you do that? All right. Second group, he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. What does that mean, snatching them out of the fire? They're in the fire. They're getting burned. They're getting burned. They're typically deceived. They're starting to head in the wrong direction and the enemy has got them. Amos 4.11 says, I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah 
and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you didn't return to me, declares the Lord. Zechariah 3.2 Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? So God wants to rescue those who are in a place where they're burning, where they're in a place of deception. Here's Joshua, the high priest, standing before the throne of God, and Satan is making accusation against him. How many of you have had that accuser in your ear? You know? He's the accuser. Before the throne, day and night. He's in our ear accusing us. Aren't you glad that we have an intercessor? One at the throne of God and one in us. Got both areas covered. Because the accuser of the brethren. Now, we don't want to side with the accuser of the brethren, do we? So let's not accuse the brethren. Make accusations. If you don't have the information, I'd be careful what accusations you're making. You're starting a fire. We're starting fires all over the place. And God wants truth to snatch us out of the fire. Fire is deception of the enemy. Fire is accusation of the enemy. Fire is false deception. And so we've got to rescue those who are deceived. God's put on my heart a brother that I know right now that's in a place of being deceived because of false doctrine. He's being pulled away from the church into false doctrine. And so he's becoming religious in his intentions and religious in his thinking because they have mysteries that we have missed. How many, come on, how many of you look at YouTube and see all the mysteries there? So many mysteries, right? About the Bible. How about the missing books of the Bible? Ooh, there's so many missing books of the Bible. You think after 2,000 years we didn't know that? The reason they're missing is because they're stupid. They're bunk. They're not of any value. They never made it in. So they're not worth reading. Right? But we get all these tickling things and the fire burns and we're losing people to false doctrine and ideas. People who have doubt, people who are hurt, and so they're looking for another way. And so we find out that, hey, if you worshiped on Saturday instead of Sunday, you'd make God happier. So, right? We've got to fix that. And then we've also got to fix something else and something else. And these are accusations against the truth and, these, and so forth. So we've got to be ready to go to the deceived and pull them from the fire. Rescue them. Rescue them. James says this in James 5, 19-20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back... Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save or deliver his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We've got to rescue them. A brother, he says. A brother who's pulled away. We've got to rescue. We've got to go and bring them out of the fire because their decisions and their wandering is going to bring death to their life instead of life. The Word imparts life. So, on this page, do you know anybody that loved Jesus at one time, that knew Jesus, that's now deceived? Write their name down. We're going to pray for them. 
You know, anybody that's deceived right now that needs to be pulled from the fire. Now listen, what does that phrase sound like to you? If you saw someone fall in a fire, what would you do? Rescue? Or would you go, hmm, I wonder if I should help or not. Maybe they'd get mad if I helped. Maybe if I let them know that their pant leg is on fire, they'd be offended. You see what I'm saying? But how many, what do we do when we see, we see brothers and sisters, and I'm guilty of this, so I'm just preaching to me right now, okay? This is Jesus smacking me around right now because I gotta get, I gotta get on this. Because I, again, I know a brother that's, he's in the fire right now. And I, well, I don't know if he'll listen to me. I don't know. He's on fire! Somebody, snatch him! You know, interestingly enough, this word snatch from the fire, it's the same word for the rapture. The taking away, snatching away. Right? When Jesus returns, we're going to be changed, twinkling an eye, we're going to be taken out, right? That's a snatching, that's a pulling away. Okay? And so when we see a brother, when we see someone who's caught in deception, who's being dragged and enticed by the enemy, accused of the enemy, run and snatch them out. Tell them, I'm worried about you. Okay? All right, so again, that was for me. What's that? Exactly. Right, and have confidence. So the word that he said is, if they reject you, you've still done what you were supposed to do as an agent of the Holy Spirit. You did what you should do. But here's the other thing. By you doing that, you have brought the word of God to them. And remember, the word of God doesn't return void. It, it, when, you, when you bring it in, they may reject you, but yet you've left them with that word. God will work on it. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, and and we've got to get past sin. As a as the body of Christ, we we've got to get past sin. Listen, everybody in this room sins. Okay, right. And then people fall into sin. And we've got to get past the, (gasps) and go to them and say, what's going on? Where are you at? There are times that uh, I'm an overseer of our district, and I've had to work with pastors that have fallen into adultery, pastors that have lost their pulpit, pastors that are completely rejected by their congregation. Because of course, by that, they've, they've just devastated everybody who had faith and trust in them, and it, it brings a lot of ruin to a church and a congregation. Uh, but when I hear of that, because I've worked with it enough, they're usually and typically shunned. But they're my brother in the Lord. And so I call them, what's going on? How are you doing? And they're ashamed Uh, some are they're not ashamed they're not convicted yet of their sin (laughs) well you work with them on that level too but again folks if we would run to those even that are caught in a sin 
and we speak to them as people and as brothers or sisters, they know what they did is wrong. If they refuse to repent, okay, what else can you do? You leave them with the word of God. But you might win them back through love. And I've had the opportunity to restore pastors back even after they have failed and recognize that God's calling and giftings are without repentance. They're irrevocable. These people just really messed up. Guess what? So have I. And guess what? So have you. So we need first aid and first responders. Now let's go on. Okay? The third one he says that we're to help is to go to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now that's an interesting concept. Show mercy with fear. In other words, we're supposed to go help people, right? But these are people that are devoted to their sin. These are unrepentant believers. So you go to them with fear. As Paul says, you better be careful who you help watch your stand because you too may fall right and so that's that's a dangerous thing so we can judge somebody else who's in sin but you better be careful have mercy and have fear for your own situation don't think you're so much better than them but also be afraid of the situation have a healthy fear of the situation all right so let me, let me put it into terms that you may understand, all right? So if you're struggling with pornography and you know a brother that's really stuck in pornography and you want to help him out and, and, you're, and, and you're slipping into the same sin he is because you go to help him so you go to the strip joints to pull him out, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> so have some fear that you may slip too right? So, you know, again, I, I, I use some, some sin or some example that you'll understand that lest you fall, Paul says, be careful. So there are people, he says, hating the garment stained by the flesh. So we have to rescue people but we've got to be careful of the situation. Now, how many of you ever uh, studied to be uh, lifesavers at uh, pools? What do you call those people? Lifeguards. Lifeguards. We've got a lifeguard right up front. What's the biggest danger to a lifeguard rescuing someone in the water? No, no, no. Let the lifeguard say it. They'll pull you under. That's what this verse is exactly saying. Have mercy with fear. There are some situations that are over your head. They try to climb, yeah, oh, 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 and you're going blub, blub, blub. That's when it's good to help them out. <laughs> Go under? All right. I'd hit them. Yeah. I think that's good. You know, she quoted the verse that Jesus talks about giving pearls to swine. To, and, and 
um, wasting your time. That's something you have to assess. And so that's what we're doing. They call it triage, don't they? So we're, Jude talks about three different kind of people. So we have to triage this. We have to figure out, you know, I, I need to see the situation. Are they a doubter? Then I need to help them in that manner. Are, are they deceived? And they need real help to snatch them out of that deception. They're blinded. I know I'm going to have to go into prayer. Now with deception, prayer is key because that's going to break the spirits that are bringing that deception. Then the last one is, if they are so devoted to their sin, how am I going to rescue them? And so I've got to assess if I'm going to be able to help or not and if, I'm going to be able to, if, if I'll get pulled into this thing. So we've got to be careful we're so busy. Can I say this? I mean, I'm, I'm as honest as I can be with you at all times. We're really all so busy trying to keep our own life together. We're not spending a lot of time helping anybody else. So, so we've got to get better at building our own faith up and praying in the Holy Spirit, right? And knowing that we're in the love of God. And the more sure footing we have, the more we're going to reach for other people. We've got to mature, brothers and sisters, because there's a whole lot of people that need us. A whole lot of people. And so we've got to do that. And so we're going to do and pay attention to those three. Now, do any of you know anybody that is in a place where they're devoted to their sin? They, they know Jesus, but they actually prefer their sin to Jesus. Right? Right? That's a name you need to write down. We're going to pray for them. And we're going to spend time praying in the Spirit. We're going to spend time um, really building our faith up and getting ready to go to war. Because how many of you know the accuser of the brethren doesn't want you going after them? So we're going to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. We're going to snatch people out of a fire of deception and we're going to even speak to those who are filthy in the flesh. I've, I've seen the Word of God change people amazingly, in an amazing way, by a simple word. And you don't know what it's going to be. I've, I've worked with people and counseled with them, trying to get them out of their sin, and been hard with them, and then been super soft with them, and, and all these different things, and then someone else comes along and and says one word, and they're like, oh, Jesus! <laughs> Whatever, hallelujah! I wasn't the instrument, but that's all right. Right? Uh, I'll never forget the story of a brother who, who he, he was just, he was a, he's a believer. He, he was just in a situation where he, he wanted to end his marriage. It was a bad situation. He, he just closed off, and this and that, separated from his wife, and knew it was wrong, didn't have a reason to leave her, and all these issues. And people spoke to him and ministered to him and this and that, and he just stayed away, stayed away, and, and just backslid out of it till one day at the grocery store, he was putting groceries, bought himself his dinner and put groceries on the, on the belt, you know, and the lady ringing her up, ringing that person up, uh, uh, put all the groceries away and, and said, boy, I don't know. The Lord just wants me to let you know he loves you. And that was it. That was the trigger. At that moment, at that time, it had prophetic weight on it, and the man busted. Woo! Went back to his wife. 
and sought counsel and, and sought trying to work that out. So again, we don't know what it's going to do, but, but let's reach these people. So we're going to be first responders and first aides to people who are either doubting, deceived, or devoted to sin. All right? So let's take a few minutes and write these names down. Do you know someone that right now is a doubter? They know the Lord, they accepted the Lord, but they're just in a place of doubt. Please write their name down. We're going to spend time praying for those people. You don't have to show anybody else. This is between you and Jesus. Is there somebody you know that's deceived? They've gone astray, false doctrine, or... or the enemy has accused them to believe that they can't come back to Jesus? Last of all, do you know someone who's devoted to sin? In other words, they know it's wrong, they feel conviction, but they won't stop. And we, they're headed for death. We, we've got to intervene. We need to pray for them. Write that name down too, okay? So each of you should have at least three, maybe two, Maybe you don't have any friends, actually. So, <laughs> oh, I didn't say friends. I said list, list three people. So you're okay. Three people. All right? So let's do that. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to go into scriptures, and we're going to learn how to bring first aid to those who are backslidden and what God says about them and how to find to give life to them and mend their woundedness. Amen? Let's bow our